turn with me to the book of Lamentations. That's right, Lamentations. It's right after the book of Jeremiah, so open it to the middle, find Jeremiah, then at the end of that book you'll see Lamentations. Um, I just want to say good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, if you want, just so you know, this is still kind of new, during the teaching, if you want to pull your mask down, you can. It's kind of like restaurant rules when you're seated down, not talking, not worshiping, you can pull it down. Um, listen, I am so glad you guys are here. Um, I'm, I'm very excited for the word today, and I think for what the Holy Spirit wants to do and minister and share to our hearts. And I'm just praying that God will bring healing um, in this process. So we are in Lamentations, but uh, let me share a couple quick announcements with you guys. Uh, today is communion. Uh, you should have got your cup and cracker as soon as you walked in, like the little wafers in the top of the, the juice box thing. Um, so make sure you have that. Uh, also, I want to let you guys know that immediately after church today, we are going to have an Alpha training in this room. Um, alpha is basically like an evangelism course. It's not even really, that's not even fair to put it that way. It's a way for you to invite your family and friends who don't know the Lord to a, a place where they can ask questions, they can dialogue, they can share maybe their faith, they can share some things that, uh, that interest them when it comes to what happens you know, during life and death and what they believe in. And so this really is an awesome opportunity for us to invite people who don't know Jesus um, maybe before they come to church, they'll come to something like Alpha. And so Alpha, we need, we've shared this a couple weeks back, but we need like hosts, people who want to make it hospitable, bring food, pray over it. We need everyone in the church to engage in Alpha, to invite their family and friends into this. Uh, Alpha is just a wonderful way for people to kind of hear the gospel in an environment that's safe and that's going to be uh, really thorough. And so I'm very excited about Alpha. So in here, right after church, in between services, if you want to be a part of Alpha, there's an interest meeting in here. So stick around. For that after church. Uh, also, last thing is next Sunday uh, at 2.30, just north of the Deerfield Beach Pier, we're doing a baptism. So we're having a baptism next Sunday. Uh, if you would like to be baptized or have questions about baptism, you can see us after. Uh, you can go onto our website, and we'd ask that you please register. So the exchangechurch.cc, look for baptism, uh, register. If you want to come and just celebrate those who are going to get baptized, please do. We've done a few different baptisms this year, just in pools privately because of COVID and uh, had to mix things up a little bit, but now we'll kind of have one at the beach again. So that's next, Saturday, next Sunday, 2.30 after church, just north of Deerfield Beach Pier. You'll see a big banner, all that stuff. Cool? Sound good? All right, hey, uh, Lamentations chapter one, here's where we're at. Today we begin a new series called Real Talk, and the idea is just we want to have a biblical approach to some tough conversations, meaning um, we kind of want to look at 2020 and all that's been happening, and we want to have a gospel-centered approach to what's been going on in this moment. Obviously, there's been a lot happening since the start of January, and there's a lot of uh, different things and topics we want to address and, and here's kind of the hope of this series, and please like, stay with me. Whenever Paul wrote a letter, for example, Galatians or Ephesians or Corinthians, he would always write a letter to people that maybe there's division, there are sin issues, there is, there is disagreements on certain topics. And Paul would write specific letters to deal with these issues. And our hope through this series is to kind of say, Lord, like, what would you write to us, to our church, to here, to 2020, to South Florida? We want to use the scriptures, we want to use the different epistles and parts of scripture to really address some things that are happening. And this is one of those series where as things progress, we'll probably offend everyone and anyone. Uh, if you have a pulse, you'll probably be offended through this series because we want to just kind of call out the heart idols that are happening. We want to call out the, the, the certain positions we might have on things that are in place of the gospel, that maybe there's certain heart idols God wants to address. So here's just kind of the next few weeks, just so you kind of know the topics. Today, specifically, we're looking at the gospel and grief. I'll share why. But we're going to look at the gospel and honor, politics, spiritual warfare, race, unity, sexuality, justice, and daily life. Um, we want to talk about some big things in 2020. We want to say that Jesus and the scriptures have the best solution to ra racial reconciliation. That Jesus and the scriptures have the best way to live our lives and how we carry out our sexuality. When it comes to how we live in this kingdom, really the kingdom of man, as we're really seeking first, bring first the kingdom of God. So we want to kind of address some things that are happening in and I'm just praying that God will use this to speak to our church, to mold our church, to shape our church more into the image of Jesus so we can process this well. And so today, I mentioned, we want to look at the gospel and grief, the gospel and grief. And, and here's kind of why I want to start off with this. Um, I think there's an emotion we've all been experiencing this year in 2020 and really don't know how to put that into words, and that is the feeling of grief. I think all of us are kind of grieving differently. I think we're frustrated, angry, bitter, resentful in denial maybe. And I think all of these are really a byproduct of something called grief. 
And I really feel like right now, God has kind of given us the opportunity to grieve. And he's given us the permission to grieve. And this is one of those things that it might seem strange at first, but here's why, again, as we approach topics like politics, race, sexuality, honor, as we approach these different topics from a biblical gospel-centered perspective, I'm, I'm praying that it'll give us more sympathy, more empathy, more compassion, that as we really set the tone for the rest of the series, we'll realize that maybe people are grieving, maybe they're walking through something very heavily, collectively we're grieving, personally we're grieving, and I think that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in our lives where God can just kind of address those things and we'll have sympathy towards someone who might think differently, vote differently, someone who might love differently. We, we want to have a biblical perspective and approach to those topics. And I just think that we need to do this and start off by talking about grief because, again, I really do believe myself and I think us collectively are grieving and maybe we don't even know it. I think grieving is one of those things that we can mask it and not even know we're actually like, what is this emotion I'm having? And I think it might be grief. And whether it's now or maybe you have been or you will, this will apply to all of us to some extent. So Lamentations, you're like, Josiah, really? Lamentations? Like, I invited a friend today. Like, why would you choose Lamentations? The saddest book in the Bible. I know. You'll see why. Um, but Lamentations, let me give you some background as we kind of open up. So Lamentations chapter 1, we'll start there in verse 1. Let me kind of explain this book big picture. It's believed that Lamentations is written by a guy named Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah wrote the book that you see before in your Bible, Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was the guy that was constantly going around just begging people, repent, like believe in Jesus, like, not believe in Jesus, but like look forward to the promise of the Messiah. Like he's constantly asking people to repent. Now, here's the idea. Uh, during this time, about 587 BC, 586 BC, the Babylonians were coming into Jerusalem and they're really taking Jerusalem captive. That at this point in time, when Lamentations is being written, Jews have been taken out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, and they're now being taken as slaves into Babylon. And they seen the temple destroyed. I mean, the temple, Solomon's temple, the thing that they were working so hard to build that was just lasting for a few hundred years, like this thing they loved, this huge monument to them was just absolutely destroyed. They're slaves now. And we see, most likely, it's Jeremiah in this book of Lamentations just weeping, just lamenting. He's broken. He's crying out. And he, he really, this is really a book of grief. I mean, it's a book where he's expressing these deep, feeling emotions that just kind of seem, he, he's angry, he's bitter, he's resentful, he's frustrated, he has hope. It's just a mixture of emotions you see in Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is five chapters, and it's written like as, as like a poem. It's almost five different poems, for those of you who are like Bible nerds and love these fun facts. There's like five different poems in Lamentations, and we call them acrostic poems, meaning uh, there's 22 verses in each chapter, except for chapter 3, and the idea was they would actually start off with the Hebrew, uh, the alphabet, and they'd just kind of start off the verse 1 with one letter of the alphabet, verse 2 with another letter of the alphabet, and they'd add 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5, and 5 is actually 22 verses, but it's a little bit different. But here, here's the idea. You're going to see chapter 3, verse, you're gonna see chapter three be, be 66 verses because he has three vowels uh, for each thought. Now, the reason why this is important for us is just to see their, stru their structure to grief. We're going to see that as he's grieving, it's poetic, but it's also very structural. We're going to see that it's very deep, it's very rich, and it's one of those things where chapter 3, he finally gets to this place of hope, and then 4 and 5, he goes back to grieving. And we're going to see that grief is complicated, doesn't always make sense. Grief is one of those things where you're, you're trying to look at it and process it and going, there seems to be a system to it, like systematic way of grieving, but there also seems to not be a systematic way of grieving, like what is happening here? And you just see kind of the full human uh, perspective within this book. And I'm just very thankful for this book of laments, this book of grieving. And I'll say this, I actually read this book this summer because I think I was processing this and grieving myself. And I'll say, it gave me a perspective of my soul, of humanity, of the way God works, of hope, of fear, of anger, of all these emotions. It kind of brought clarity to that, and I hope it does that for you today. And I was really tempted to not get into chapter 3 and get to the hope. I almost wanted to sit in grief today. But we are going to read those verses on hope. But part of me just wants to kind of sit in it a little bit. Because we're really quick, guys, all of us are really quick to distract ourselves when it comes to grief. A lot of us don't want to sit in grief. A lot of us don't want to express it through song or psalm or poetry or cries but yet this is what he does, and this is probably what we need to do to some extent. 
So let's read. It's going to be Lamentations chapter 1, and I'm just going to, we're going to pull some verses out of this, this book, uh, just so you can kind of see the heart of his grief, and then we'll end in chapter 3 by looking at finally some hope, all right? So again, welcome to church. So glad you're here. We're going to talk about lamenting today. All right. Uh, <laughs> Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, how lonely is the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations. The princess The princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. He's kind of personifying Jerusalem and Zion. Let's go to verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Keep reading. It says this in verse 12. It is nothing to say, all who pass by, behold and see. If there is any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. Verse 16 of chapter 1. For these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Verse 20. See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me for I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword uh, bereaves. At home, it is like death. Chapter 2, verse 10. Keep reading. Chapter 2, verse 10. He says, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads, and they gird themselves with sackcloth. sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. My eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. Chapter 3, verse 16. Keep reading with me. He says, He who has broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes, you have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. All right, it's a lot of grief. Now he kind of goes to hope. He goes, My strength. And my hope, they have perished. Now verse 19. Remember my affliction and, and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and, and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my, per- my portion, my soul says. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silence, because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever, therefore he causes grief. Yet... He will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. And then in chapter 4 and 5, it goes back to being sad again. Um, You see just a conflict of emotions, just a lot of different emotions. The Lord would never cause grief. The Lord has caused grief. And you just kind of see these contrasting emotions throughout the psalm, or throughout this this lament psalm. And we want to look at this and process this together. And I really do believe as we process grief together, God can bring healing, God can bring restoration, that if we sit in it for a little bit, if we wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, that's when healing can come. So this might be a little different. It is bizarre. You know, I know that church, you're supposed to be like, ah, let's go get them. Sometimes we just need to sit quietly and wait patiently for the Lord. So we're going to do that. And I'm going to ask that really that in this time, you guys, that you would just remove distractions, remove anything that could be taken away, that the Holy Spirit would bring to some things your remembrance, that, that he can bring healing, and that God can do what he wants to do. So let's do this. Let's pray. Let's just take a second. Why don't you guys take a second, five, ten seconds, and say, Lord, I'm here. Speak to me. Just pray for five seconds, then I'm going to pray. All right? Take a second. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Ask God to speak to you for a second. Father, I just ask that um, you would speak to us, that you would move, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring healing, that Jesus, um, even before that, that we would truly grieve, that we would mourn, that um, as, we, as we mourn in different ways, 
that Jesus, there'd be comfort, there'd be healing, God, that you'd accomplish what it is you want to do. And Jesus, just please be here. Please just remove anything that can keep us from what it is you want to do in our lives. God, I ask as we truly just face grief head on, that you would accomplish your work, that Jesus would become more like you in the process, that you are known as that man of sorrows. And um, Jesus, we want you just to bring this comfort and healing. And we ask that you would do this in your, in your wonderful and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, 2020 obviously has been just a year of loss, like a lot of loss. This has been a year of a lot of change. Like a lot has changed, so much so that people are comparing it to like 9-11 where things might never be the same. You know, just like when 9-11 happened and the way we did like airport life forever changed and now we're kind of used to it even though we still hate it, I, I think life will forever be different and we're really not sure what that will look like. And it's really been a lot to process. I mean, let's be honest, guys. This has been a lot to process in so many different ways this year. It's been very heavy. It's been interesting. You know, here's what's interesting about grief. Grief is essentially loss. If, if you lose something, if something is lost or changed or different, it, it develops the motion of grief. And sometimes grief is incredibly obvious, whether that's divorce, maybe the loss of a loved one, death. But sometimes grief isn't so obvious. There are times you're like, why do I feel this way? I shouldn't be grieving, like, but I'm grieving. And why do we even have that thought that I shouldn't be grieving? Maybe you've had that thought. And, and loss just feels very different. Sometimes, like I said, it's very obvious. Sometimes it's not, but it's weird how it sticks with us. You know, I had one of those moments my senior year of high school. I, I've maybe mentioned this once or twice, but uh, I love basketball. Um, that was like my life, right? So it was really my life. Like, I, I, my whole life, every summer, eight hours a day, I, I would just like live in the gym. That was like everything for me. It was very bizarre. My last game of high school, we're driving up to, uh, we're as far away as playoffs, you know, our coach on the, the team bus decided to have us watch Coach Carter, where it's like this team that has a lot of heart, but they, like, they lose in the first game of playoffs. And I'm like, why would he make us watch this? Anyways, like we, we're like, this is like such a morale, it was terrible morale. Uh, they lose in the first game, and that's what happened to us. We lost our first game of playoffs. So we drive really far, we have our last game of playoffs, and it's really bizarre, I didn't expect this to happen, but we're in the locker room afterwards. And it kind of was one of those moments where it just hit me. Like, my high school career, my basketball career is done. And I know that sounds like not a big deal, but it's one of those things where like, I will never play this competitively again. Like, I'll never have that brotherhood again. All of those hours in the gym, for me, and I knew that God was calling me to a different season of life than college and doing that in college, so I, like, I knew it was done. And I don't know what happened, but I cried like a baby, man, in that locker room. Like, I cried like a baby. All the guys that, like, and guys I didn't even think that cared about basketball, they're sobbing, and we're, like, having, like, ugly cry and snot. We're like, why are we crying? And it was one of those moments, it's just so weird. And then, honestly, for months after that, it was just such a bizarre thing to process. Like, wow, this season of my life, like, since I was, like, a little boy, this is over. And it was just weird. I'm like, who am I? What, what am I? What the heck? Like, I was the kid that joked around and played basketball. Like, that was, that was me. And it was just a really hard thing to process. And it's like for months, I'm processing this. And I'm like, why am I feeling this emotion? I have no idea what this emotion was, grief. And I, I didn't know how to process this. Now, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. The Enneagram is like one of those personality tests. It's kind of like how God has wired you, your disposition, how you view the world, how you interpret the world, some of those things. On the Enneagram, if you take it, I would, I would encourage you. It's a pretty cool thing. I'm an Enneagram 7. Right? Some of you are like, oh, that's not a surprise. That's like the enthusiast. That's the joyful person. Like since I was a baby, I don't even know why this is an award, but I remember one year I won the most joyful baby award. I don't even know why that's a thing. But that's the thing. Like that was how God wired me. I, that was just who, that's just how he made me. So here's the thing about an Enneagram 7. When it comes to grief, we avoid it at all costs. When it comes to pain, we're like, nah, I'm good. Pain? Let's just move on to something else. And that's like, that's kind of how we're wired. And there's been certain times where God's had to force me to sit in grief. And God hasn't let me move on. And there's been times where God's like, you need to come face to face with this pain you're feeling. And that, there was kind of that moment this, this season, this summer, where I'm like, what are all these emotions I'm feeling? I'm very confused. You know, like, again, if you're an Enneagram 7, you're like, what the heck is this? I don't even know what grief. Like, what's that? Like, that was kind of happening. And I want to think about this because, guys, there is this, this shared collective grief thing happening. Like, think about this. We, this, is a, this is called a pandemic. Like, this is a mass scale thing where all of us are walking through very similar things that, that we can share collectively, but all of us are individuals and have personal stories from this. So when you think about this shared collective grief, it's bizarre. I mean, when the pandemic happens, you know, you think about everything's different. Birthdays are different. Like, graduations are different. Everything's virtual. Drive-by birthday parties. Like, what's that? Now that's normal, right? You think of just about these, these, the social pain that's been brought up. Online, there's like just bullying and hatred and just disgust spewing from people. You think about the racial tension. You think about all the unrest in that area. You think about how it's just brought out a lot of pain in so many different ways. You think about just the spiritual tension 
that the church hasn't been able to meet. I mean, we were like met for six months online. Like, what is that? Like every church everywhere was doing something like that. And like, we've seen just distance in that way. There's economic uncertainty that a lot of us maybe face and had fear and anxiety over. I mean, this was one of those shared collective seasons of grief that has been so bizarre. And then I'll be honest, along with personally, this has just been a, a season that I've had to come face to face with my own grief. You know, this last four or five, six weeks, I've done three memorials for people who passed away. And every time you do a memorial, you're entering into someone else's grief, and it's heavy. And it's weird how you feel that. And it's even though you might not know them that well. Two out of the three people overdosed. And you're walking through with, family, with, with families through that. You know, I shared this year how David, David was just a love guide or church. David passed away. David was this encourager. He was in my group. He, was, he would call me just to encourage me. It was just a voice that was just a breath of fresh air for me, and he passed away. I was at his bedside, and we're praying as he breathed his last breath. It was just a very painful moment. I know for his family, for me, as I drive by, like, his apartment, it's weird how I, guess I think about him. New emotions come back up, or old emotions come back up. You know, next month, my, it's my mother-in-law's year anniversary of her passing. It's, it's hard for my wife right now. It's one of those just weird moments. My father-in-law was diagnosed with colon cancer last week. Our church hasn't been able to meet, and that's just been hard and for six months to now it's not the same, and things feel different, and there's a lot, and people we love, people are moving. There's just so much happening, and I'm, I'm going, God, what is this? And I feel like God's saying, it's okay to grieve. I can give you permission to grieve. And I think that a lot of us need to hear that, that there's permission to grieve in the scriptures. There's a whole book dedicated to lamenting, to grieving, to processing, to being frustrated, to expressing, to writing poems, to writing songs, that, that we could process grief differently, but we, we need to process grief in a healthy way. We need not minimize or dismiss grief. And I, what I'm trying to get at for us church is, listen, I really do believe when there's grief and there's grief when it comes to mourning or it comes to lamenting, we'll talk about the difference of those things. I think that's when the Holy Spirit can do his best work. I think that's when we can relate to Jesus in ways we've never related to before. I think that's when we can relate to each other in ways we've never related to before. I think God wants to set us free from certain maybe identity things that we've kind of been committing ourselves to. And God's like, I want to give you a new identity. I want you to grieve the loss, grieve the change, and I want to speak some things over you. And I really do believe there's this permission to grieve in this way. And so here's what I want to talk about, because I want to kind of give a framework to grief, and I think the reason is when you can help understand grief a little bit better, it helps you process it better, and it helps you understand maybe when things are becoming too much, or maybe unhealthy, or maybe you need to seek out community, or let community come seek you out. So I want to talk about this. So here's three thoughts today when it comes to grief. Cool? You ready? Whew, take a deep breath. All right. I need to do that. Here's the first thing. Processing grief. Processing grief. Number two, we're going to look at practicing grief. And number three, we're going to look at praying grief. All right, processing grief, practicing grief, praying grief. We want to look at the scriptures when it comes to those things, all right? So here's the first one, processing grief, processing grief. It's very important that you and I process grief, and, and we'll talk a lot more about this, but we need to process it. C.S. Lewis said it this way. C.S. Lewis wrote, grief turns out to, to be not a state, but a process. Grief is like a winding road where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. Grief is not a state, it's a process. I want you to understand C.S. Lewis, who's one of the greatest writers just in, in general, in all, of all time, an incredible writer, Christian, not Christian, an incredible writer. And this guy wrote a book in 1940 called um, uh, Pain, the, the Problem of Pain. And then in the early 1960s, he wrote a book called Grief Observed. So in 1940, in England, during World War II, he wrote a book just about pain and the problem of pain. And there's a lot we're going to kind of unpack from that book here today. Then he wrote another book called Grief Observed, and this is when his wife passed away. And it is one of the most intense books. I was reading it this week, and I was like, you see this guy, it's basically his journal. He actually wrote it under a different name at first. He didn't want people to know it's him, and then he says, okay, that's me. Because the pain was just so deep. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest apologists, those who defend the Christian faith, was like, I'm struggling here. Like, his, his wife's death really rocked him, really shook him. And he basically wrote his own lamentations. And so I want to kind of unpack this, this process of grief. So let's just talk about this. What is grief? What is grief? Grief is this deep emotional sorrow and distress over losing something or some person. This deep emotional, grief is more internal. It's more of an internal thing happening, maybe just mentally, maybe just deep inside your heart. It's just deep, deep sorrow. It's really, it just, it's associated with loss. 
any sort of loss. Sometimes we use the word grieving when it only comes to death, and that's not fair. It's just, uh, just loss in general. Uh, when it's referred to as death, we call that bereavement. It's just more specifically grieving someone's death. But this is just grief in general. Like, this could be, again, a change of life, change of anything. You know, Lamentations 2, or when, you, when we read through this, I mean, this guy, Jeremiah, was grieving deeply. I want to read the verse again to you. It's Lamentations 2.11. He says, my eyes fail with tears. I can't even see anymore. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because of the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. Jeremiah is literally, I'm physically sick, and my bile's on the ground means I'm throwing up. He, he was so depressed, so grieved, so broken that he's throwing up from the pain he's experiencing mentally and emotionally. I don't know if you've ever been there where you experience the pain so deep, it, it just moves you physically. It hurts you physically. That's what Jeremiah was describing. He's saying this is incredibly painful. Now, I know I've kind of mentioned this, but I just want to point some things out because grief can be a lot about a lot of different things. Grief comes in all shapes and sizes, obviously. So that means our mourning will, will look different, and we'll mourn over different things. So here's just some of those things, and just want you guys to think through this, maybe in your life. What does this year look like? Grief can look like, obviously, death, divorce or relationship breakup, loss of health, losing a job, loss of financial stability, a miscarriage, prodigal child, retirement, loneliness, loss of a dream, a loved one's illness, pandemic, life's on pause, loss of a friendship, loss of safety after a trauma, selling the family home, marriage and family struggles, life transition. I mean, this is not all of them. This is just some of those things. And, and here's what I, I want to make sure Christians get this, guys. It's okay to grieve. I think sometimes in Christian circles, you know, we can almost just say cliche things, which we'll talk about, but we can say very hurtful things. I've seen people grieving before, and I've seen people be like, you shouldn't be doing that. I've already heard different spiritual leaders talk about, like, that, that should not be your approach, man. Where's your hope? And we don't understand the humanity of this, where God grieves, we grieve. Do you know that God grieves? Do you know that God was grieved at various times in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit, we can grieve the Holy Spirit because of our sin. Do we get that God grieves and we're made in God's image? So guess what that means? That we're going to grieve. It's okay to grieve. Grief is not a sign that you're spiritually unhealthy. It's a sign that you're spiritually healthy. When you grieve appropriately and gr like let it truly grieve and not repress or diminish or minimize, there's something incredibly helpful about that. You know, John Piper said something about this, and I think it's helpful just because, again, we try to um, almost downplay grief or act like it's not a Christian thing to grieve. Here's what John Piper says about this. He wrote, the sobs of grief and pain are not the sign of unbelief. Job knows nothing of a flippant, insensitive, superficial, praise God anyhow response to suffering. The magnificence of his worship is because it was in grief, not because it was replaced, not because it replaced grief. Let your tears flow freely when your calamity comes, and let the rest of us weep with those who weep. We, we need to embrace this and take this on and embody this. It is okay. And I know, I'm not sure, again, we'll kind of identify maybe what kind of environment you grew up in where maybe you thought it's not okay, but it is okay to grieve. And so we want to process this. So uh, I'm going to kind of tell you one, I guess, one style or process of grieving that's been observed. So a, a lady named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was a Swiss-American psychologist, she kind of perfected like the five stages of grief. She kind of wrote that down, and that's been really used the most part. Some people say there's seven stages. We're just going to look at kind of the five most common stages of grief. All right, we'll put them up here really quick. Here's the first one. Denial. Denial and shock, anger, bargaining, depression or sadness, and then finally acceptance. These are kind of like the most, I guess, agreed upon stages of grief, but we'll talk about some misconceptions with this. But these are kind of like the, the process of grief. Now, let's just talk about this. All right, first is the, the denial and shock. It's that mindset of this can't be happening to me. And it's funny, I kind of felt that early on in the pandemic. I'm like, nah, nah, there's a, no pandemic, we're good. We'll be back at church next week. I remember in March, I'm like, we're still going to do our giant Easter outreach. Like, so much denial, so much shock. Some of you are like, yeah, you did think that. I think all of us have, like, this will last two weeks. Then we're like, oh, we're going to meet finally again in September. I think there's just denial and shock at first when it comes to, it comes to grief. I love the story again of Jesus saying, guys, guys, I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be crucified. Right after Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is like, yes, I am, but I'm also going to be crucified. And then I love this. In Matthew 16, 22, it says, then Peter took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. And that's where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not know the things of God. Um, I love this because Peter right away just hears terrible, terrible news. The one he loves, Jesus, is going to be crucified from the mouth of Jesus. And he's in shock and denial. Nope, not you, Lord. Far be it from you. I'm not going to let that happen. And we see shock and denial right away when it comes to news that would bring grief. You know, next you would see this. You see uh, anger. 
you know, why is this happening? Who can I blame? Sometimes with anger, it just turns maybe more into like a blaming sesh where you're blaming yourself, you're blaming others, you're blaming someone who maybe caused, if they wouldn't have, if she just, a lot of times blame happens. A lot of times anger is really just rooted out of fear. It's just like, it's just another way people who are very angry are usually very fearful. And so maybe there's just something deep inside them that's just fear-based. And then next we're going to see bargaining, where it's just like, make this thing not happen, and in return, I will. And you do see people bargain. A lot of times, whether that's with God, sometimes we'll bargain God if you would just, or you see them bargain with someone else, or bargain with themselves, and they kind of go through this like bargaining process. You know, I think of what Jesus said, and a lot of scholars have pointed this out as bargaining process when Jesus was in the, was in the garden right before he was crucified. Jesus said, what, Father, if you're, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. We'll look at right, what he said right after that in a second. But there's almost this bargaining, Father, if you're willing, would you just remove this cup from me? If there's any other way, if there's any other way. And we see bargaining happening. We see this a lot when it comes to grief. Maybe you've experienced bargaining to some sort, some capacity. Next, though, usually after bargaining, there just comes a deep sadness or depression. A lot of times, it's just this dark place you get at. Maybe it's even guilt-related. Maybe it's like if we just chose a better doctor, if I just would have got more involved. Maybe there's guilt when it comes to depression and sadness. Maybe there's shame. It's not just excluded to one emotion. There can be a lot under uh, depression and sadness that just kind of makes us feel this way. We're this dark, dark state and this deep, 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 strong emotion. And then here's what happens a lot of times, not every time, but here's what happens a lot of times. You kind of go through a sad phase, and then eventually when it comes to this grief process that many people point out is this idea of acceptance. Eventually accept, like, this is my new norm. This is the new way of living. I'm, I'm at peace with what happened. You kind of move into this acceptance phase of, I just, I guess this is where we're at. I remember thinking about that the pandemic. I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, it's so funny when this, everything starts happening, you're like, I literally have no control, like no control over anything. Like nothing, I literally have no control over anything. If you've ever experienced maybe uh, some sort of sickness or problem personally with family, you realize like, oh my gosh, we have zero control. And God's like, yep. Like there's this process where you go, I have, I have no control, like yeah. So uh, and God's like teaching us through this process that, that we don't have control and we need to accept that, we need to accept who has the control. And there's this acceptance process. It's what Jesus said in the garden in Luke after this. He said, Father, so we talked about if you're willing to let this cup removed from me. Then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That we see like this bargaining happening with Jesus, then right away, but not my, not my, not my will, Jesus. Not my I want, but what your will be done. Let your will be done here. And then you find this acceptance thing happening. And this is what happened with Jesus. Now, um, let me say this. This is a process, right? And it's not perfectly step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Uh, I do love what C.S. Lewis, again, who wrote a lot about grief, he said this. He says, uh, for in grief, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from a phase. Listen, but it always recurs. Round and round, everything repeats. Am I going in circles, or dare I hope I am on a spiral? But if I if a spiral, am I going up, or am I going down? How often will it be? For always? How often will the vast emptiness astonish me like a complete novelty and make me say, I never realized my loss till this moment? So he, he wrote this after his wife passed. He goes, it feels like this on and on, this ongoing thing. Am I spiraling? Am I spiraling downward or upward? I don't even know anymore. And he's just expressing this is a process that I, I keep revisiting. And I'm bringing this up because there's certain misconceptions about these five stages. I just want to bring this up because I want to almost bring clarity or comfort in case you've walked through this to some extent. Number one is this, um, the five stages of grief, the misconceptions. The five stages of grief are linear and must happen one right after the other. That's a misconception. It's not one right after the other. You might bounce around a little bit. It's not going to be one, two, three, four, five. You might start at three. You might start at four. You might, it's just bizarre. It's not necessarily a linear process. Uh, also, you must go through all five stages. No, not true. You're not going to necessarily go through all five. It might look different. It might be worded different. Another thought is this. Uh, the five stages only occur once. Of course not. They can happen time and time again. It can happen years, decades later even. It's not just like, oh, I got to acceptance. You might have to re-get to acceptance again later. Uh, another thought is, we must follow the five stages. No, of course not. This is more of an observance of, of just human nature. Number five is, uh, you must have exactly one of those emotions in the five stages, not necessarily. It's just pointing out kind of how we process things. We do see this even scripturally, just this anger, be angry and do not sin. We see kind of all of these little processes happening. And, and here's the thing, if you've talked to someone who's grieved a lot, um, we'll talk about what not to say. But one of those things is like, you know, move on. I love how someone said, you, you never move on but eventually you will move forward. Like, you will never move on from it, 
but you might move forward. You never get over it. You might just get through it. And, and when someone's like, just get over it. If you've ever heard that phrase or thought that phrase yourself, you don't really just get over it, but like, Jesus, help me get through this moment. You see, grief just can look so differently. I do love these different terms because I was reading this this week going, man, I think this, which one applies to me here? Here's some different ways grief can look, and I'm just going to put them up here and just briefly explain them. There's something called anticipatory grief. That's just almost like what happens when the next pandemic hits. It's like kind of like anxiety, but you're like already grieving the next pandemic. You're like, oh my gosh, it's flu season. Ah, there's anticipatory grief. Maybe that's you. There's delayed grief. This will take place later. There's complicated grief. That might be just like trauma-related. That just might be, again, like it's like a form of delaying or it's prolonged. It's stretched out. There's disenfranchised grief, and this one is what breaks my heart for this pandemic because you maybe weren't able to grieve properly because you weren't able to have a funeral or memorial. Maybe if you've ever been somewhere where someone passes away but you can't fly there, you feel disenfranchised by that, you weren't really able to weep with other people around, you wept alone, you found out bad news alone, so you're disenfranchised grief. There's chronic grief, just ongoing thing. There's compound grief, kind of like what I talked about earlier, where you feel like it's thing after thing after thing. Maybe it's not one big thing, but it's a lot of small things that add up, and it's compound grief. Then there's mass grief. You're like, Meaning you have all these other emotions and you don't know how to describe it and in reality it's just mass grief. You're feeling something right now and you're like, I don't know what I'm feeling. I feel bitter, I feel frustrated, I feel angry. And in reality, maybe it's just truly grief. And the reason, again, why we bring this up is we need to process this well because it can lead to physical pain. Like Jeremiah is vomiting from this. It can lead to fatigue, nausea, lowered immunity, weight loss or weight gain, aches, pains, insomnia. It can lead to a lot of things if we don't process it appropriately. Now, so let's talk about that. Let's go to number two, practicing grief. Practicing grief, okay? So there's not necessarily, and you maybe have heard this, not like a right way, wrong way to grieve, but I do think there are some healthy habits and unhealthy habits, and I think there's some healthy practices and unhealthy practices, and I want to look at this from two perspectives. Practicing grief alone, like yourself, like you practicing grief, and I want to talk about practicing grief with someone else. Someone else is walking through grief. So first thing is practicing grief yourself. Let me just say this. Um, it's, again, it's okay to mourn, and my question to you is, have you mourned? So mourning is expressing your grief. So let's, let me just ask you this. Have you had a chance yet to truly mourn and express your grief? Here's what Jesus said, right? Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. There's a blessing in mourning. You need to express your grief. That word mourn, actually, I looked it up in the Greek. I love this. Pantheo, it's manifested grief. Do we get that? Mourning is manifested grief. Mourning is, it might be cries, it might be journaling, it might be writing, it might be talking, it might be just processing through song, through worship, but there's this idea that my grief is being manifested in some way, I'm not just bottling up. So when it comes to grief, are you bottling this up, are you diminishing it, are you saying, I don't have a right to grieve because I really haven't gone through something that big, or are you just, are you truly mourning it? And that can look differently. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. I love what David Kessler said. He's just a guy who writes a lot about grief. I think it's grief.com is something his, uh, that he oversees. But he wrote, emotions need motion. Like if you have emotions, it needs motion. You can't just have emotions bottled up. It needs motion. It needs to flow in and out of you. Uh, another author, a, a biblical author wrote, emotions expressed become medicines that heal. Emotions repressed become poisons that kill. Emotions expressed become emotions that heal. But if you repress it, it becomes emotions that kill. And so we, need to, we truly need to mourn. Jesus said, blessed are those who weep now in Luke 6, 21. Blessed are those who weep. So I'm just so thankful the Bible's honest with pain and suffering. I'm so thankful the Bible's not like, come on, guys, just get over it. Don't you know you're going to heaven one day? Like, I'm just thankful the Bible does just let you mourn, says it's okay to mourn. There's a blessing in mourning. There's a blessing in weeping that Jesus is not like, like unaware that he obviously understands our grief, which we'll talk about. But we understand that Jesus gets it. He, can, he allows us to mourn in this way. Now, see, now, why do we, why grieve? Why should we grieve? Why should we mourn? Why should we express it? Because that's when the comfort comes. That's when, according to Jesus, laughter will come. That when you truly mourn or grieve, that's when the blessing will follow that. Blessed are those who mourn for what? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who weep now. Why? For they shall laugh. There's a side of it like you want to mourn, you want to weep because why? There's a blessing attached to that. There's this laughter that will come later. One of the healthiest, healthiest processes of grief is when somebody is able to laugh at me about a certain situation. Not that they have to laugh right away. It's okay if they never laugh. But you can kind of tell someone is actually having some health, healthy grieving when you eventually see them laughing about maybe a person or circumstance or their circumstance where they can joke around about it. They can actually become unhealthy when that's become like this is just one big giant joke and they don't really understand the reality they're in. But there's something healthy about that right amount of just laughter. But Jesus said, blessed are those who weep now. You shall laugh. 
So here's what I kind of want to just unpack with you guys. When it comes to how do I grieve personally, um, I want to give you some thoughts. There's a guy named uh, David Tripp. David Tripp's a great pastor, author, writer. He wrote a book on grief. Here's some of his thoughts when it comes to grief I want to share with you. He says, number one is this, be honest with your emotions. Be honest with your emotions. If you're feeling a certain way, be honest. I love the Psalms because the Psalms do this. Like Psalm 13 is like, how long, O Lord? Will you just let evil and calamity happen? Like, come on. Like, he's just crying out that way. And a lot of it's just crying out in that way, and then you eventually see some hope at the end. In Psalm 10, he says, why, O Lord? Why? You see that how long question? You see that why question? Some people say, like, don't ask those questions. I mean, David does. The authors do. There's these questions where they're just honest with their emotions. And we see this with Jeremiah. And you see that tension of feeling. So be honest with your emotions. Don't, don't feel like you to suppress it. Number two is this. Uh, seek comfort from the comforter. Seek comfort from the comforter. If you're grieving right now, know there's someone, there's the God of all comfort who comforts us. As 2 Corinthians 1 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. If you're right now grieving something, go to the one who is called the comforter, the God of all comfort, that we should run to him, that Jeremiah even says to seek him, to seek him out. That God wants to bring you comfort and don't just wait. But, you know, I do believe you know, God will seek us out, of course. But I'll say, you know what? I would say go to the one. Come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's something about saying, Jesus, here's the pain. I want to I bring it before you. Number three, if you're grieving, I would say this. Don't fall into grief's traps. Don't fall into grief's traps. It's very easy when you're grieving to justify sins, to justify behaviors. It's easy to start just, you know, whether that's just been watching like crazy, whether that's maybe men getting connected or hooked on pornography. There's different ways that we try to fall into grief's traps when we justify it. Well, I'm allowed to, I'm grieving. And don't, you don't have to fall into that. There is a way of escape. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, a verse maybe we all know, but he says, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That you don't need to fall into grief's traps. Because there's, a, it's, there's grief will be one of the healthiest, best things for you, but there's a lot, also a lot of traps attached to that. Just be aware of those traps. Beware of those fights that will happen between you and your spouse. Beware of those, that conflict that can arise very easily when you're grieving. Just be aware. Beware of the traps. Number four is this. Practice your spiritual disciplines. You know, when you're grieving, still wake up early. Read, pray, worship, sing. Some, one of those things where David in Psalm 42 goes, uh, soul, hope in God. He tells his soul how to feel. Worship, sing. Tell your soul how to feel. God, you're good. God, you're faithful. You might not feel that. But just sit, tell your soul how to feel. God, you're good. You want to practice those disciplines. You know what that also means? I love 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. It says it this way. Train yourself for godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness profits all things. A couple thoughts. One, train yourself. We've talked about this before in our spiritual discipline series. We're training, not trying. Train yourself in the spiritual disciplines, but also keep in mind, bodily exercise does profit, meaning, hey, eat well, sleep well, take care of your body. That's a very important while you're grieving. Practicing those spiritual disciplines also have physical byproducts to them. Number five is this, celebrate eternity. When you're grieving, there is something about personally, you do look ahead. I, I usually get questions about, can you give me, recommend a book on heaven? Can you recommend a book on the afterlife? What does it look like? What does the Bible say? Can you tell me some passages? And then a lot of times, because people want to know, like, what is next? And what is this all about? And I'll say, celebrate eternity. Celebrate Revelation 21.4, where uh, it says this. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Celebrate that. Jesus, thank you that one day there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, that you will wipe away my tears. That is personal, that is intimate, that is an experience I get to have with you. Thank you, Jesus. Celebrate that. It might take a while to get there, but, and I would say this, I'd recommend those verses. Don't send people those verses. I'd recommend, like, pointing people to the right passages, but let them, let them discover it on their own. Let them come across it in their reading. Let them go, oh, thank you, Jesus. I needed this for me. Celebrate eternity. Another thought is this, share the comfort you've received. You've received comfort from God, and 2 Corinthians 1 goes on to say, now comfort others. And there's something about the grieving process when you're able to be comforted, and you're also able to comfort now. That is incredibly healing. So share that comfort. And, and lastly, I want to share this one. Um, allow your community to grieve with you. So here's the kind of idea. Yes, seek out community, that, but it's very hard. Community, you should seek them out when someone's grieving. Yes, like we should go to them. But allow them to seek you. Don't just put up walls. Allow them to grieve with you. Allow them to cry with you. This is not going to be on a mass scale. This will be in that one to two to three to four people, maybe maybe a small group, maybe a couple people from your small group. You're letting them into the pain and grief, and, and you're letting them suffer with you, alongside of you, and allow your people into that. Now, here's the other thought. Listen, that's for you practicing grief. What if you're trying to practice grief with someone else? 
what if you're trying to help someone else process grief? Because that's an issue in and of itself. You know what I love about Job? Job suffered greatly, but you know that Job suffered on other people's behalf during that time? Like Job grieved for himself, but he grieved for others. And I just want to throw the verse, because I find it really ironic. Job 30. Job says, have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? I mean, Job lost his family, his, everything, his future, his finances. He lost everything, and he goes, but I'm also weeping for the poor. I'm also grieving for someone else. You can grieve for yourself and grieve for others at the same time. That is possible. And, and here's what I want to bring up, church. This is why I'm bringing this up. Um, Job threw another verse out there. He says to his friends, have pity on me. Have pity on me, oh, my friend, oh you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? Are you not satisfied with my flesh? Here's why I'm bringing this up. I, I really do believe there's a lack of pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. I really do believe in the church right now. We're so angry at the other because we're not, we're not, you know, Job's friends. They didn't even show pity. Not even pity. Nor sympathy, nor empathy, nor compassion. I want to kind of throw this graphic up so you can kind of see this. Um, hopefully it's big enough where you can see it. Uh, here's the idea. Pity is like, I acknowledge your suffering. That's like the lowest. Like, oh, like someone's like, oh, I, p- I pity them. Like, oh, good for you. You acknowledge, you acknowledge their pain. Sympathy is you're kind of beginning to now just care. You, you, you care to the point of like, I'm starting to feel it even. So I would say it's care and feeling. Empathy is not, it's more than feeling. It's like I put myself in your shoes and I've seen this from your perspective and I'm taking on this, on this pain with you. And I love this idea of compassion because compassion is I'm here to relieve the suffering. And I think of Jesus in the Gospels. He showed compassion on them, compassion on them, compassion on them. It's like I more than sympathize. I more than empathize. I'm here to help relieve you from that. And so that is our role when someone's grieving is to go, I want to sympathize, empathize, and obviously eventually show compassion. I want to help relieve this, carry the burden. I want to walk through this issue with you. Church, we got to get better at sympathizing and empathizing and showing compassion. Amen. Like right now, when I read certain statuses or face things, I'm like, oh, God, give the church sympathy and empathy. Amen. Like, do you need, do you need like, compassion and empathy? I, I do. And, and there's a side of this where it's like, let us show it. Let us be compassionate like Jesus was. Now, so how do we help someone process this? And please stay with me because there's so many mistakes that can happen in this and so much more pain that can happen in this. So here's kind of the first thought. Um, when someone's grieving, listen to their feelings, not just their words. Listen to their feelings, not just their words. They're going to say some things that might sound a little crazy. If you've ever been around someone grieving, they say things, you're like, Whoa, don't show that. You know, I've, I've had to like, learn how to manage when people are in pain, they say things. And I don't need to go, oh my gosh, you know what you just said? Like, nope, nope, don't do that. <laughs> Just like, see, what, what are they feeling in that moment? Like, observe their feelings in that moment. Uh, number two is this. Accept and assure those who are grieved. Accept them. Assure them. You know, come alongside them. Don't make them feel weird, different. You're accepting them. You're assuring them. As one author said, while grief is fresh, every attempt to divert only irritates. You must wait till grief be digested. Here's what that means. Don't divert their grief. Like, hey, man, not a big deal. Don't divert the grief. While it's fresh, let it be digested. You know, so accept them, assure them of that, let them digest it a little bit. Number three of this, allow them to, cl- uh, allow space to clarify feelings, meaning they might be talking out loud and trying to process out loud with you, and let them, let them do that. And maybe help say it, sometimes the best thing you do in grieving is you're, you're maybe repeating back to them what they've already said, but the idea of this, you guys, um, listening is so key, as I just mentioned, but listening is like sacred. Something, there's something about silence that is sacred when it comes to grieving. There's something like where your flesh will want to say, speak, don't speak. Now, listening does not mean you never speak, because there might be some time you really need to process with them, and a good listener will know how to, to do that and when to do that, but you want to probably be, more often than not, if you don't know what to say, or if you're like, I'm on the fence about this, probably don't say anything. Let them clarify their feelings or help repeat what they just said back to them in their own words. There's something incredibly healthy about that. Not only that is this, come four is confront only if their decision-making of the one grieving will do permanent damage. When it comes to someone grieving, there might be a time to confront if you're thinking this will lead to permanent damage. Maybe they're about to spend a crazy amount of money on the funeral because they feel guilty or shame. Maybe they're just going to go out and just start, you know, trying to numb the pain through drugs and alcohol and different things. Confront when you see that this is going to do a lot of damage. There is a time to confront. Hey, I love you. I care for you. This is not the way to grieve. It's not the, it's not the thing to turn to. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to meet those longings that you have. And, and you, there is a time to confront when someone is grieving. Listen, and I'll say this, comfort them don't try to analyze or explain them. Uh, don't, don't try to analyze them or explain to them what's happening. Don't try to analyze, well, this is what's happening. Don't try to be a psychiatrist. Don't. don't try to analyze. Don't try to explain. Just comfort. Comfort. Comfort, uh, one of the 
definitions, it comes from two Latin words. It just means with strength. With strength. Comfort means I'm just here to offer strength. I'm not here to analyze or explain. I'm just here to offer strength to you in this moment. Also, lastly, don't be shocked by what you see or hear from the person. Again, there's going to be times where you just don't want to be shocked by what comes out that moment, by what you might see. If you've ever been a part of hospice or someone's on their deathbed or you're watching someone grieve, don't be shocked by what the family might say or do. And you're, you're there to encourage, to put strength into. You're there to comfort, to be with them. And, and that, is, that is the hope and process in this. So few little things I want to kind of clean up with before this, we move on from this point. And, and here's some things not to say, all right? Um, and don't get these lists confused because then your brain might read this and be like, oh, this is what I should say. No, don't say this, all right? Things not to say when someone's in grief, all right? Ready? You can say something like, people don't say something like, people say this, well, at least they or he or she live a long life. Many people die young. Don't, don't do that. All right, that's pretty obvious. Uh, uh, just don't say he or she is in a better place. Don't say they brought this upon themselves. Don't say there's a reason for everything. Don't say to them, aren't you over this yet? Aren't you over them yet? They've been dead for a while now. Don't say to them, you can still have another child. Don't say she was such a good person. God wanted her to be, uh, she was such a good person, God wanted her to be with him. Don't say, I know how you feel. Don't say she did what she came here to do and it was her time to go. Don't say, hey, just be strong. Don't say, you're going to be okay. Don't say, you're going to move on. Don't say that. Don't say Romans 8.28 and every other cliche verse in that moment. Please don't. <laughs> um, some of those things, because what it does, it takes away from the humanity of it. When, when you just say, hey, be strong. It's okay to be weak. Because when I'm weak, Jesus is made strong. It's okay. Don't be strong. Don't be strong. Be weak, actually. Boast in your weakness. Paul did. There, there's just something about... Just don't say something at that point in time. There's things you can say, and if you've ever seen someone suffering or grieving, there are things you can say, and it's usually a sentence or two, and here's just some ideas or recommendations. Just say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Just try that. Just say that. Um, I, I wish I had the right words, but I don't. Uh, just know I'm caring and I'm praying. So you can say, I don't know how you feel, but, but I'm here to help you in any way I can. When appropriate, maybe you, um, you can say, my favorite mem memory of that person you lost, my favorite memory of them is this. You can say, I, I am a phone call away. You can give a hug instead of say something. You, you can all say, hey, listen, we all need help in times like this. I'm here for you. You can say, I'm, I'm usually up early or late if you need anything. You can say nothing and just be with the person. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because, again, people are grieving. Guys, on a mass scale, people are grieving, and on individual scales, people are grieving. And I think how we process this is going to be so important, how we practice grief together collectively, individually. It's going to be so key just for the life and health of our church. And I'll say, speak, it, it, be an encourager. And encourage, again, that word encourage, just think about like enter courage. Like you're putting courage into them. Be that. And sympathize and, and, and empathize and seek to have compassion on them, but just realize there are certain key words or things that can even trigger them all over again and make that, that feeling even worse. And here's the thing. We want to process grief well. We want to practice grief. And here's the last thing. Number three is this. We want to pray grief. Pray grief. What do I mean by that? Lamenting, the definition of lament is simply this. You're praying your grief. You're praying your grief maybe through crying, through song, through worship, but it's grief like through prayer. So mourning, you're expressing your grief. Maybe you're journaling, you're cr literally crying, but lamenting is like, I'm praying to God this grieving, this pain I have. And so lamentations or lamenting is this, truly this expressed grief. L lament is expressing grief through prayer, poems, cries, or even sorrowful worship. So it might be even like a form of worship. I have one more long quote I want to read to you guys about this, because I think this is so helpful and so beautiful. In a book called Glorious Ruin, another book about pain and suffering, the author says this, the Bible teaches us that grief and worship are not opposed, that they actually go hand in hand. Grief can be heard as a cry for what once was, and one day will be, again, a world without pain and disease and conflict, a world characterized by shalom. Grief acknowledges the catastrophic state of affairs east of Eden. God does not expect us to keep a stiff upper lip in times of trouble. He is not pleased with robotic attempts to exonerate him in the midst of pain. We cry uncle so that we might cry Abba. In the moment of tragedy, most of us actually respond fairly calm, but check back with us a week or two later after the relatives have left town and the neighbors have stopped bringing meals. That's when we unravel. It can take us a long time to process painful events, and, and that's okay. That lament, you guys, we cry Abba, or we cry Uncle, so we might cry Abba. 
that lamenting is sometimes just this expression of prayer that's pain. It's interesting. It's almost like even lamentations is like, you could say like a book of worship, but it's almost like griefs and complaints. And there's almost a time like where the psalmist says, my flesh may fail, my flesh will fail, man. Like it's going to fail. And you're just like lamenting this. I'm going to fail, God, and this is painful for me. And that is an absolutely okay thing to do. And here's what I want to just share with this. Listen, when you don't know what to say, I love the verse in Romans 8 where it says the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. There, there comes a time, one of my buddies went through something completely terrible, awful. I won't get into it. He just went through something really heavy. He's in his, he's told me a story. He's in his shower. He's crying. He's going, God, I just, I'm broke. I can't go on. And he's like, in that moment, that's when I began to speak in a language I've never spoken before. That's when he first spoke in the gift of tongues. If you are more curious about that, you can read about that. But for, for him... He experienced this gift under intense grief, and that was a way now where he prays in those moments. He prays in this gift that God has given him at that moment. The Holy Spirit can give different gifts according to his will. The Holy Spirit gave him that gift of tongues in the moment of grief because he had no idea what could come out, and that's what came out. It was Romans 8, 26 to 27. The Holy Spirit just made groanings on on our behalf, on his behalf. And, And there's those moments where we, listen, pray grief. Maybe it might literally just be your groaning. You're in pain. And you're just like trying to get words that God help. You're just trying to just pray your grief. And I would say absolutely pray your grief. And here is why pray your grief. Do we know why? I mean, the conclusion of the gospel and grief, and here's why. Jesus is the man of, of sorrows. Jesus is acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 4, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's acquainted with grief and he bore our griefs. Jesus is familiar with grief. Thank you, God, that we have a God who knows what it's like to grieve, that Jesus knows what it's like to have a loved one, and he, he doesn't send, you know, when Lazarus, one of his friends passed away, the brother of, of Mary and Martha, he doesn't send them a letter. He's like, I'm so sorry for your pain. You know what he did? He goes there and just cries with them. He's like, let me express my grief with you. I'm going to go there and cry with you. When they accuse him, when they're blaming him, when they're doing their thing, he's just weeping with them. And I'm so thankful we have a Jesus who's acquainted with our grief, and not only acquainted with our grief, but he bore our griefs. I mean, he bore the griefs of the world. You see, we can grieve because we have a God who grieves, and a God who grieves with us, and a God who grieves for us, and a God who took our grief. You see, the gospel is, I'm going to grieve, but I have a God who grieves with me. I have a God who knows the pain of my life and your life and everyone's life, because on the cross, he took on the pain and sorrows and the grief of the world. And he can understand grief and suffering way more than I ever could, way more than any friend group ever could. So we go to the man of sorrows. We go to the one who's acquainted with grief, because he gets it. He, He bore your grief. He bore my grief. He goes, I know exactly what you're going through, because I bore that exact thing you went through. I took on that grief. I embodied that grief. I suffered on your behalf for you, for me. I mean, the Gospels, we have a God who knows what it's like to grieve. I love what Bob Kellerman says. He says this, In grief, we are tempted to view God through the lens of our loss. Christ invites us to view the Father through the lens of the cross. In grief, we can say, God, look at all that I've lost. But God says, I want you to view grief through the lens, not of your loss, but of the cross. View grief now through what I've done for you. This is how you and I view grief. I love what Philippians 3 says, where Paul says that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and what else? And the fellowship of his suffering. Guys, when you suffer, when you grieve, you now have a new relationship and dynamic with Jesus you never would have had before if it wasn't for suffering. You can now relate to Jesus in ways you and I never have if it wasn't for the fellowship of suffering. That you can now relate and understand Jesus. Jesus knows you and you can have intimacy with Jesus through suffering. What a beautiful, beautiful message. See, Paul said this way, hey, you don't sorrow at other people's sorrow. See, you sorrow with hope. You grieve with hope. First Thessalonians 4, Paul said, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The rest of the world grieves without hope. The rest of mankind, they can grieve, but they have grief without hope. He says, you don't sorrow that way, you grieve with hope. Your hope is different, man. You have the friend of sorrows. You have the one who's acquainted with grief, who bore your grief. We have a resurrection hope. Like, and you know what? That might not be the first thing you share to someone who's grieving, but let them come to that conclusion that my hope, my hope does not just die or end when that person dies or when I suffer loss. My hope continues because, again, I will be with Jesus. He will make us alive. That No more tears, no more cry, crying, no more sorrow. He'll wipe away every tear, and we truly can experience this grief with hope, that we grieve with hope. So here's what I want you to do just as we close. We're going to take communion, but I want you guys to do something because I really want you just to take a second and to kind of take inventory. Would you just kind of actually for a second, let's do this. Bow your head, close your eyes. And I really just want you to take some inventory with the Lord. Say, Lord, speak to me in this moment. We're going to take communion. I'm going to walk through communion, but I want you to say really quick, bow your head, close your eyes, and I want to ask you some questions. Is there anything right now that you need to grieve over? 
And my question to you is, what is that? And right now, identify that. Is there anything right now that you need to grieve over? Let me ask you this. Have you been resisting? Have you been resisting to grieve? How? Are you, are you resisting that urge to grieve? Have you been minimizing your grief? Take a second and just go, Lord, have I been minimizing or downplaying this pain in my life? Have you been distracting yourself from grief? Ask yourself, Lord, have I been distracting myself through just binge watching, through food, through drugs, through alcohol? Have, have I just been minimizing or distracting myself from my grief? Ask yourself, are you allowing others to help you grieve? I want you to take a second and ask the Lord, Lord, am I letting people in to grieve with me? Why? Why not? And listen, are you spending time with Jesus and giving the Holy Spirit room just to comfort you? I'd say make some space for the Holy Spirit to comfort you in this. Listen, as we take communion, as we worship, as you have that little juice and that little wafer, here's the idea. We're reminded of the man of sorrows. We're reminded that he's acquainted with grief. We're reminded that he bore our grief. He took our grief. I would say just thank you, Jesus. I would say right now if you want to grab your little cup and your cracker and your wafer, we're going to play a worship song. And during this song, listen, this is a time for you to pray, a time for you to examine, a time for you to say, Lord, speak to me. God, bear my griefs with me. I don't want to do this alone. I need you, Jesus. Would you comfort me in this process? And I just want to give you some space to do that. That Jesus is called a man of sorrows. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that he's not saying, well, good luck. One day in heaven, it'll be all better. That he can relate to our grief. So take a second. Pray over your communion. Thank Jesus for this. Praise him for this. That by his stripes, we are healed that through the shedding of blood, there would never be forgiveness of sins if blood was not shed. Thank you, Jesus, for the shed blood. Thank you that you took grief so I could be freed from mine, so I could be healed from mine. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want you guys right now, I'm gonna be quiet. We're gonna play a song. When you are ready, please take and eat and take and drink. But first pray and thank and realize that you have a God who can sympathize you with your weakness because he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Thank you, Jesus. Praise him. Thank him. We're going to worship. Take communion right now as you are ready.